Shalom Alechem Yagatov. We are continuing in the introduction of Rabbi Yosef Masas of the Rambam to the Mishneh Torah. We're in the writings of Rabbi Yosef Masas. Last week, we studied two different ways in which someone can be the primary disciple of their rabbi. Rabbi Yosef Masas was asking why if Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai had thousands of students, were these five students singled out as his primary disciples? And now we are getting ready for the third answer, and that is the one on page 363 of the packet that is attached to your Zoom invitation via the Google Classroom. For those of you who have your cameras on, I really, really appreciate it. For those of you who can't, I understand, but if you can, I would very much appreciate seeing you as well. And so would the rest of the people here in the classroom. We're going to revisit now a sugya, a passage in the Talmud, really in the Mishnah, that we discussed once upon a time. So this is something that you and I have touched on. I don't remember when, I don't remember which class, but we've discussed this. Today we're going to elaborate on it at length. Rabbis of blessed memory told us, When one teaches Torah, or says a halachic ruling, or we'll see what exactly this means, one must be careful to use the precise language of their rabbi. Like it's written on page 47b of Tractate Berachot, an unusual teaching. Uh, not yet. And this is the Gemara. We studied this halacha last year in the Kola. So those of you who were with us last year, you'll remember this halacha. It is forbidden for those people who are sitting at the table to eat from the food until the one who recited the blessing over Hamotzi tastes from the bread. Now notice that the Gemara uses two different words. It's forbidden for the participants of the meal to eat their food, lechol, ad shit om until the one who said Hamotzi tastes from the bread. Yativ asked Why did he say it's forbidden to eat from the food until the host has tasted from the bread? Why doesn't it just say lechol, lechol, twice? It's forbidden to eat from the food until the host ate from the bread. What are we learning from this tasting? Now, do you remember? Extra credit if you remember this. I think there was a taz. A taz that made a, dif- a difference between tasting and eating. I'll give you the context. You tell me if you remember the answer. The context was, and I'm sorry I'm taking a halakhic tangent in the Rambam class. If you remember after Hamotzi, to, you forgot to give food to your animal. You said, You're not allowed to eat before you feed your animal. And we mentioned, are you really not allowed? Was it a, a, really an obligation? Not an obligation. Let's leave it simply for right now. What do you do? Before you taste the food, do you have an obligation to go feed the animal? Or can you at least taste a little bit? And some want to say there's a difference between tasting and eating. Oh, you could taste and then go feed the animal. Or is tasting the same thing as eating? And really would be depending on, is this word here, tasting bread, is it intentional? And if it's intentional, is it telling us there's a difference between tasting and eating? When you prepare food, you become besari, or can you taste the food of Shabbat? And that's very good. Can you taste it? There's, if you remember, there's a halakha that if you don't know if the meat is salted or not, what do you do? You can lick the meat. Raw meat, you lick it. If it's salty, I mean, spit it out. But if it's salty, then, I mean, I don't know if the, the Department of Agriculture would appreciate this, but if you don't know if it was salted, then, then you taste it. And that's not considered isu, but uh, you spit it out. That's, 
So what's he really trying to teach us? That a person has to speak in the exact language of their rabbi. And the person's rabbi said that he used the word lechol and then used the word litom. So the student, when repeating the halacha, said the words exactly the same way. Now we're going to find an unusual example of this, which we discussed a while back in Kola. And the rabbis tell us in Masechet Shabbat, Hillel Omer, Hillel says, Melohin Maim Shuvin Posnita Mikve. A full hin of Maim, of water, make the Mikve a Maim Shuvim. What is Maim Shuvim? If you're Israeli, you think Shoev vacuum. Don't think like that. Maim Shuvim are water that. There's natural rainwater, and there's Maim Shuvim, water that was drawn into the mikveh. Now, it's meaning it's water that was brought there in a vessel. And not, not really sure. Yeah, in a vessel. You bring it in a bucket, you pour it in the mikveh. How much water from a bucket is posel the mikveh? Hin, melohin. That's the amount of water. And the. And then the Hillel says, but a person must always speak in the language of their rabbi. What is that halacha, melohin, Maim Shuvim? have to do with speaking like your rabbi. Upiresh Rashi's answer. Ah, very good. Rabbi Yosef, you're mentioning the Rambam's answer. Let me do this. Uh, let's let's do the Rambam in just a moment. We're going to get there. What Rabbi Yosef said is what the Rambam writes in the Perush HaMishnayot. Upiresh Rashi's answer. Rashi writes the following words. Kilomar, meaning, Hin eno leshon Mishnah, el leshon Torah. Hin, is not a measurement in Mishnaic Hebrew. It's a measurement in Torah Hebrew. Which language do the Chachamim use in the Mishnah? How much water has to be in the Mikveh? Anyone know the Halakha? It's very good. The Zev. Se'ah. Se'ah yeah, is the measurement which the rabbis use in the Mikveh. Hin is not that measurement. It's the language of the Torah. Because Hillel heard Shema'an Aftalion use a biblical measurement instead of a rabbinic measurement, he repeated it in the same exact language that they used. And says Rashi, my rabbis explained to me, What does it mean that a person must speak in the language of the rabbi? In the language of Moshe Rabbeinu. Which is Hebrew, which means that if you're going to choose to use a rabbinic measurement, or a biblical measurement, you use a biblical one, like Moshe Rabbeinu did. It says Rashi something fascinating. And my heart is stuttering. Literally, my heart is uncomfortable with his answer. Because there are numerous places in the Talmud where we were not particular to use the language of Moshe Rabbeinu, even Hillel was not particular. So why on earth would he be telling you here, speak the way Moshe Rabbeinu spoke, when elsewhere in the Talmud or the Mishnah, he didn't speak that way. Says Rabbi Yosef Masas, you have to look at the origin of this teaching. Yeah? Didn't a lot of times they use the measurements that were common in that area? That's right. You're going to see that Rabbi Yosef Masas is really not pleased with the answer of Raji. He doesn't like it. Right now, if you'd go to Home Depot and ask them for four cubits of, uh, I don't know, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. You're going to tell them in feet or in inches or whatever you need. But you're not going to order in cubits. <laughs> right? So, so the Chachamim were using whatever measurements Chachamim were using. 
והנה מקור מאמר זה הוא במסכת עדויות, in the middle of page 363. The origin of this teaching, says Rabbi Yosef Masas, is in tracted עדויות. ושם מוסיף תיבת אלה, and there there's an extra word that says אלה, rather. וזה לשונו, הלל אומר, הלל says, מלוא הין מים שאובין, that a full הין of מים שאובין, of drawn water, פוסלין המקווה. They make the mikveh not kosher. Ela shechayav adam lomar b'shon rabo. Rather, a person must always speak in the language of their rabbi. The sentence seems a little fractured. Upiresh Rambam zav. The Rambam explains b'shem avotav in the name of his father and forefathers. This is what Rambam says. Ki hilel amad etzel shemaya v'avtanion. Hilel who he was the student of. Shemaya v'avtanion. Shehayu gerim. They were converts to Judaism. And they had an accent when they spoke Hebrew. They didn't speak Hebrew the way the rest of the Jewish community spoke Hebrew. They would say instead of a hin, they would say in. They didn't pronounce the H. By the way, there are still cultures where the H is a very almost silent, yes? Where you write an H at the beginning of the word. Um, and it doesn't always, it's not always pronounced that way. And because of this, Hinel spoke the same way. Meaning, even though Hinel spoke a perfect Hebrew, when it came to teaching the halakha, says the Rambam, he was particular to recite it exactly the same way his rabbi said, even with a mistaken pronunciation that his rabbi spoke in. And what do you do with the fact that in the Mishnah it says Hin and not In, like the way he supposedly said it? Says the Rambam. That the uh, Biudan Nasi, when he was writing the Mishnah, he edited this so it would be correct. V'zeu she'amar melohin. What say? Suppose you have to. Someone who's running the mikveh has to be a competent mikveh. If they're not, then most likely you're being tovel in the swimming pool. That's most likely, yeah. And now the Rambam brings kind of a proof. Look here. That's why it says melohin, a full hin. And he mentions either way the Rambam goes, the Rambam tells you his rabbis mispronounce his word, and Hillel intentionally mispronounced his word in order not to deviate from the way in which his rabbi spoke. And then he told his students, but don't make a mistake. That, meaning, I'm saying it the wrong way, but not because I don't know, but because that's the way my rabbi said it. I have to tell you that this commentary seems to be it's a little unusual for the Rambam and his, his camp. But uh, I see Rabbi Yosef, you're raising your hand, just unmute yourself, because I'm not always going to... Yeah, sorry. I have a question. Don't you mind of an obligation to say the halakha? as they received it, but they're mispronouncing it seemingly? So they so, can't. So they're, they're like honest in the situation. I once took somebody to Arab for a when I was sitting on Arab at Bedin in Yerushalayim. And this person, one of the things Arab Peretz asks is before a, a person goes to the Mikveh to convert, they should say, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And he was telling them, say Echad. And they could, so they said, if you can't say Echad, they say Okay, say And they couldn't, Whatever it was, Echad, Echad, Elad, not Echad, or Echad. They couldn't do it, they couldn't do it. At a certain point, Tarapel said, okay, it is what it is, let him say whatever he can say. And, and it's, 
the the idea is there are people. It's not a it's not anyone's fault that sometimes you know how many times listen. I'm I run a Facebook group that still has been on slow functioning lately. But people ask Kashrut questions. Do you know how many people that have been religious for thirty years or forty years or fifty years write to me about the chesher on the food instead of a hechsher or the hechsher with a kuf or a or a, a, a kechsher or a hechsher and they don't know the word that they're saying? How many years are you saying the same thing? And you don't know what, because that's the way that it is. You learn a mistake, and no matter how much you've learned since then, some mistakes die hard. It's why our Chachamim are so particular, by the way, not to learn an error. If you learn a mistake in the beginning, then the rest of life is a problem. Pronunciation. Yeah. I think all of our Chachamim, even our Peres, when you read and you say something incorrectly, it correct you, not to embarrass you. Just don't make a mistake, even if you're not. You know how many times I hear people in tefillah, forget Kratzevah, but in tefillah, there are words entire communities are saying incorrectly. And so you can. How much can you find everybody? I'm sure I also make mistakes. Everybody make mistakes. But the, do you try to change mistakes? Do you try to codify mistakes? This is a question. So these Chachamim were unable to correct their their accent in order to teach their students. According to the Rambam's commentary. Well, that's yes. sort of self-contradictory. You should be trying to correct it when you make it possible. But ah, I'm going to say intentionally incorrectly because that's how I know. Exactly what he is doing according to the Rambam's forefathers. So that's what I'm saying. So kind of I, I understand. Exactly, I understand. Which is why Rabbi Yosef Masas, who's not afraid to fight against anybody, is also not going to be afraid to tell the Rambam he doesn't think his answer is right. Yes, that's, that's why we're doing this one. And by the way, if we don't get the laws of pizza today, we'll get laws of pizza tomorrow. I just uh, Right now I want to focus on this. The Ravad Zal Piresh. The Ravad. He has another commentary. He should have at least said the three kabin. A kav is also a measurement. Yes, he should have used that language like the whole Talmud uses. Kihin hu leshon Torah. Kihin is the language of the Torah. And again, he uses hin instead of gimel kabin because he chose a biblical word versus a rabbinic word just like his rabbis did. Says Rabbi Yosef Masas, that's exactly what Rashi said. It's just a different explanation, but the same idea. And Rabbeinu Ovadia, he said a similar answer. And the author of Tiferet Yisrael, I believe his name was Arav Lifshitz. I think that was his name. He brings these commentaries as well. And he quotes the name of the Gaon of Vilna. That that which it says that you must speak always in the language of your rabbi, it's coming on the, the first word, which is a completely irrelevant word here. You could just say uh, a gallon of water. Why say a full gallon of water? What does the word full mean in relation to a gallon? Is there a difference between a gallon and a full gallon? There's a difference between a full hin and a hin? No, says the Gaon of Vilna, the word melo is the excessive word here. And now he's saying the rabbi of Hillel was a Tadion, who was a convert. And he couldn't pronounce the word hin properly with a hey. And it sounded like he used to say, What does that mean in Hebrew? 
What does N mean in the context of this sentence? N ma'im shalvin poslin at the Not there's no water. Means a hin measurement of water makes the mikveh pasul. And ma'im shuvin means that this water you can put as much as you want. It will never make the mikveh pasul. And because of this, because of this, the shelo yitua talmidav. In order so his students wouldn't make a mistake, shekavanato in ma'im shuvin posim lehachi osif minat milo. That's why he adds the word milo in the beginning to show you the word in is a mispronunciation of hin. And not telling you a different halacha entirely. That's what says the, the guy that even though he could have said the word, he could have pronounced it properly, he didn't pronounce it properly because that's exactly why, that's exactly the way that his rabbis pronounced this sentence. Can I bother you for too bad? And then he mentioned here, if he was a Masas, that there are another, uh, a few other rabbis who mention the same exact thing entirely. So give me one second. Perfect. On the top of page 364. Ve'ani, ani, says Rabbi Yosef Masas, and I, the humble one. I have a problem with every one of the commentaries we've studied so far. I don't like any of them. You should know, other rabbis, what they do is they say, you know, maybe the rabbi meant something. Rabbi Yosef never meant his words. I once saw a letter in which someone sent him a book of poetry. He wrote like 250 piyotim, songs for Shabbat, songs for holidays. And Rabbi Yosef Masas writes back to him, essentially, don't quit your day job. He says, take this book, if it's up to me, take it, bury it, and don't embarrass yourself by showing anybody anything you wrote. Because he writes back to him. Another letter he received from a, a rabbi, he said, he corrected all of his errors in the letter in Hebrew grammar. He sent it back to him and said, please, before you write me letters, learn how to write Hebrew. I once saw a letter of a, a, a Talmud Yeshiva. He wrote to him a letter. And Rabbi Yosef Masa said, the amount of time I spent trying to decode your handwriting was a waste of my time and my life. He said, next time you write me a letter, please either type it up or find someone who can write it for you because your handwriting is miserable. Rabbi Yosef Masa never minced words. And, <laughs> There's a reason probably he ran away to uh, the Tunsen. I have a problem with all of the commentaries so far. All of these things don't make sense because throughout Masechet Mikvaot, they're using biblical measurements such as Lug. And so none of these answers make sense. This is the odd. Furthermore, the reason why Hillel says Hin and not Gimel Kabin is because it's much easier to say Hin than it is to say Gimel Kabin. It's an easier word to say. That if a person, there's, maybe in the context there, if I remember, an animal does damage, then a person has to pay. The damager has to pay. Why does he say chav and not chayav? Says Yudan, the name of Rav, the rabbi who wrote this teaching was from Yerushalayim. And the sages of Yerushalayim, 
they like to use uh, abbreviations for things. Instead of speaking the whole word out, instead of saying chayav, they say chav. And he says, Rabbi Yosef Masaz, he was he was stingy even to add an extra letter. Even a Babylonian would be careful not to add, say, Gimel Kabmini. We'll just say Hin. It's an easier word. It's more than Hillel is from Yerushalayim. Even though originally he's from Babylon. His wisdom and his greatness were all born in Yerushalayim. And because of that, don't be surprised that Hillel is using the word Hin instead of Gimel Kabmini. It's just the style of the rabbis from Jerusalem to speak a, an easier Hebrew. Are we in too deep yet? Yeah? Because Rabbi Yosef Masai is not done yet at all. He's not done at all. He's still picking things apart. Rabbi Yosef Masai has asked a question that hopefully is bothering all of you in the next section. But first, before, that Pirush Rashi Zalashani in the second commentary of Rashi, that he was using the language of Moshe Rabbeinu. Remember, he said that my rabbis taught me that he, the Shon Rabbo means the language of Moshe Rabbeinu. Says, uh, even he didn't like that answer. So why do I have to like that answer? But then he says, now, but what about the Rambam? The Rambam writes that it's because his rabbis were converts. They couldn't pronounce Hebrew properly. And because of that, he mispronounced Hebrew too. Says, I have an extreme difficulty with the Rambam. Because his rabbis were converts and they had an accent, he's going to imitate them? There's nothing more disrespectful to your rabbi than to imitate him like that. He said, look, they've asked which part of Morocco he's from. This part of Morocco, listen. That somebody who doesn't speak properly, in the debel kamo bigimgum, let's say someone stutters, and we speak to them stuttering. <laughs> he might even curse us or beat us up or, or fight against us. This happens every day. If you go to the street and you imitate a person who's talking to you, they'll smack you in the face. He said, What kind of person? No, I'm respecting my rabbi by mispronouncing Hebrew the way they mispronounce Hebrew. That happens all the time, no? This is, I mean, this is a very unusual thing, says Rabbi Yosef Masaz. When I first moved uh, from my apartment to my house, so we had a moving company that came to pack up our boxes. And my wife wanted to help the guy pack. Because we pay, but my wife wants to work. So my wife says, are there more boxes in the car? Like, you know, some new, I'm not a good New Yorker. She says like that. And the guy looks at her, he's from Boston. Are you making fun of my Boston accent? And she said, no, 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 I'm really asking. He said, but you're making fun of me. He says, no, I'm from New York. Oh, you're from New York. Okay, we speak the same kind of English. And, uh, but the first reaction he had was he was ready to leave. What kind of person is making fun of my Bostonian accent? It's different than New York, of course. New Yorkers should not get offended. Neither should the people from Boston. Um, <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like park your car. Okay, that's the... No surfers in Boston or New York. So this, this is a bit of a I can't, I can't accept this answer of the Rambam. It just doesn't sit well with me. That Hillel would imitate his rabbis incorrectly. It says, and furthermore, factually, there are nations that don't pronounce the H. They say H like an A. Anyone familiar with uh, any words like that? No, but the ha is pronounced 
I'm thinking there might be some Latin languages like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah? That is happy birthday. Somebody might say happy birthday without the H. How, how do you say hello in Spanish? Hola. Hola, but it has an H, no? Why do you say the H? Silent. It's a silent H, right? There's a reason for the silent H, yes? Now, in Israel already, this has happened. Yom Huledet, my wife said, birthday has become Yom Huledet. They've skipped the hey. But that's because, what we said last week already, Israeli and Hebrew are two different languages. Yes? There are languages that they, they skip the H. He says here, mainly it's Christians from Europe. Now where is he writing? In Morocco. He's telling you, I've noticed this, this uh, language, this uh, pronunciation from Europe. It's like we know from the Christians of our times. He's talking then. Says I have a problem with that. Because Shemaya and Aftalion were converts, yes. But they came from the descendants of Sancherib, Sanakarib, the king of Assyria. Ashu. Like I wrote previously, Yuyan Chan. And we know that the Assyrians pronounce their hey the same way that we do. Yes, I think in English they also call him Rab Shakeh, if you look him up on, uh, on Wikipedia. He was the general of Sancherib's army. When he comes to fight the war against Chizkiyahu, anyone know which part of the Tanakh the story is found in? Sancherib is coming. Where? Where? Say. No, um, uh, Pam, you got it right. Say it. It's in uh, Isaiah, like in the middle. Very good. In the middle of Yeshayahu. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's the middle of Yeshayahu. Uh, you find the war, and there's famous, they build a wall uh, overnight, and there's a famous story there. If you look in the Nevi'im, you know, you did a tikkun tonight, Pam. I once gave a tour of Christian missionaries, German Christian missionaries in Yerushalayim. Don't ask me how I got to this thing, but it, whatever happened, happened. And I was walking around with a group of 15 uh, German Christian missionaries in Yerushalayim. And every place we went, I would say, oh, so I mentioned this, we walked by a wall from the time of Yishayahu and Chizkiyahu. Yeah, and I said, where in the Tanakh is this written? And they told me, Isaiah, every day I went, they knew exactly where it was. Not a week later, I gave a tour to a group of yeshiva guys. I won't tell you the name of the yeshiva. And I told him, guys, where is the story of uh, Sancheriv and uh, Yeshayahu and, and Chizkiyahu? And they look at me like, who are these aliens you are talking to me about? They didn't hear, and by the way, I told them already, Chizkiyahu, Yeshayahu, they could have just guessed, right, the book of Yeshayahu? No idea what in the world I was talking to them about. I didn't ask for verse and chapter, just in general. That he spoke Aramaic and Hebrew fluently. Very good. It's also Menachim. Sorry, Mechila. My parents said Menachim Ben. It's also there Menachim Ben. Correct. I'm remembering in Yeshayahu is the famous retort of Yeshayahu and Avi back to the, the general on the other side of the wall. Do you remember this episode? But the story is correct. It's in Menachim. Forgive me the... This is a new find that Rav Shakeh from Sancherib's army says all the hay is perfectly like us. So how can you tell me that the descendants of his that come from the same country, that speak the same language, they don't know how to pronounce the letter H anymore. They can't say hey anymore properly. 
והחלק העיד על הכל, שכל העם היו מדברים כמוהו, וכן הערבים מבטאים ההן כמוהו. אם אתה הולך לערבים, למשל, הערבים והערבים אומרים ה, כמו שאנחנו אומרים ה. והם שכני האשורים והבבלים, והם הנאבים של הבבלונים והאסירים, מאז ועד עתה, מאז ועד עתה. ומבטאם שווה בכל האותיות. וכל האותיות הם פרונאוצים כאלה. כאשר שמעתי מפי נושאים הרבה הבאים מאותם מקומות, I can heard from travelers that travel throughout those regions, ואם כן, גם שמאיה ואבטניון יוצאי חלציהם כמוהם שהיו בלי ספק מבטאים מהם כמונו, ואומרים אין והין. He said, and therefore it's not correct to assume that Shemaya and Aftanion, who were descendants of Assyrians, who spoke in that language, from that country, in that place, that they would have difficulty pronouncing the word letter He, and they would say In instead of Hin. It doesn't make sense, Islam Yusuf Masas, I don't accept it. But he's not done. He's not done. Umagam od. How much more than this? Even those European nations that can't say when they come to convert to Judaism, they learn successfully how to pronounce the letters like we do. Everybody who knows this knows this. Everybody who's able to come, so they finish a giyul, they know how to read Hebrew. They know how to speak Hebrew. They know how to pronounce. People are not lacking in their pronunciation of words. Who sat in a bedin for a conversion. He says, this happens every day. Many people come before us to convert. Some already come uh, educated. Who taught them to get ready for the Bedin process? Their Jewish friends. Their Jewish friends taught them everything they need to go, know to go stand in front of a Bedin. You should know. I'm on camera. I feel that much of the injustice that happens in the world of conversion is because of those rabbis who are involved in conversion successfully have divorced the conversion process from the Jewish community. The Jewish community, the people around that person who's converting, are aware of all the struggles and the evil that is done to Gerim in the process of conversion. But they don't have a say in the Bedin because they're not the ones who are accompanying this person to the Bedin. They don't get to fight with the rabbi in the big city and tell him, hey, you're being mean to our friend. He, he comes to our Shabbat table. He's converted to Judaism. She's joining our classes. Why are you treating them this way? They don't have a say. In Morocco, part of the process was these people who were converting, were, they were being escorted it's through the conversion process by their Jewish friends, people who really cared about them and were not just... Uh, teaching them, but would bring them and, and support them when it came to the Bedin. By us, have you ever been to our Shiviti Bedin? We have a room where the Bedin meets, meets. next to there is the Mikveh. There's a big area where everybody who wants, family, friends, brothers, sisters, cousins, Jewish relatives, non-Jewish relatives, anybody you want comes and we dance and we sing and we speak and we... Everybody should feel that this is a place where, where we're not hiding anybody from, we're not hiding anything from anybody. We want everyone to be involved here. It, and the, because it's a community effort, listen, we've had in our own kilah times where people were starting a process and they left in the middle, and we as members of the kilah felt a loss. There's a loss of this person was our friend, not just a person going through the process, they're friends of ours. And they left, for whatever reason, everyone and their reasons. There are some that come to us not knowing anything. And so we have people in the Bedadin that teach them the basics of how to recite blessings and how to uh, pray. 
says, and they are pronouncing all the letters properly. Even if they came from Edom, from Europe, which they didn't. For sure they learned, when they converted to Judaism, how to pronounce Hebrew properly. How much more so? Forget conversion, says Rabbi Yosef Mezaz. When the Christians wish to push themselves a little bit, they can pronounce Hebrew the way we pronounce it. I have experience. I've tried this with a few Christians before. Look on page 365. How much more so Once they converted, they became rabbis. They were careful to pronounce Hebrew properly so their students wouldn't learn mistakes. is saying that the answer of the Rambam is very difficult for me. is also saying the same thing. It's very difficult. These answer, how could you say that these big Tamanechamim are mispronouncing Hebrew? And even if they, you want to say they were born mispronouncing these letters, but by the time they finished converting, they became chachamim, they couldn't pronounce a, a letter. Look, even though you're not supposed to call it chala, right? It's not chala. Yeah, it's a chay, it's not a chaf. But even the American in the grocery store, they say challah bread, right? But if they push themselves, they can go challah bread, right? They can do it. They want to. They do it all the time. Yeah? Every actor in Hollywood has said chutzpah before. Right, everyone. Yeah, they all, they've all done that before. Meaning, a person who wants to pronounce a letter properly will say it properly. It's a very unusual commentary of the Rambam to say that they couldn't pronounce, that's why he let mispronounce it just like that. And even if that was true, says Lugia Samasas, it's really difficult to accept that he is busy making fun of his rabbis. It's not just pronouncing words like them. Once they had a, a Purim play where they were imitating all the rabbis of the yeshiva. And one of the rabbis of Yeshiva came in and said, who's that guy? He said, that's you. He said, that's me. You're imitating me. It doesn't sound like me, though. You know, you should get a better, uh, a better person to imitate me. But here, he's not imitating their accent. He's not imitating their style. He's imitating their mistake. It's kind of like if someone here made a mistake, and for the rest of history, whenever I spoke to you, I will speak to you with your mistake. Like, how much can you embarrass a person already? How, much, how could he do that? And so Rabbi Yosef Masaz doesn't like this answer. With your permission, I'm going to finish through to the end of Kola with this book. I'm not going to switch over. Is it okay? Can we finish this piece? I don't want to start it again tomorrow. Yes? Yes. Okay. Now, Rabbi Yosem asks something else. And there's an attitude in the Jewish community that we're not allowed to question any source that came before us. Somehow, we're like people that are carrying a burden of thousands of years of commentaries and interpretations and even if we want to invent our own, it can only happen once we're hunchbacked because of everything we're carrying on our back. Rabbi Yosem Masas is showing you here, not with any disrespect, but that he's not affecting a halakha here. There's no halakha that's changing. He's not interpreting any halakha in a way that the Bedin Haggadah wouldn't allow him to interpret it as. But he's telling you, I also have a right to challenge interpretations that came before me, especially if my challenge makes sense. I'm not going to tell you the Rambam is. Chazron, you never say, the Rambam is stupid. You don't say that. He's just saying, I can't accept this answer, and I'm listing the reasons why he'll have to provide us with an alternative. But you're allowed to do this. In today's world, everything you read has to be right. 
people come to me and say, the, the chumash, the commentary, this commentary, is that. Which one is right? Well, they can't both be right. You know, we have to be right. They can't both be right. So how do you decide? You have to know how to use your brain. If you don't know how to use your brain, or you're afraid to use your brain, it's even worse. Those who don't know how to think, okay, what can you do with that? Those who know how to think, but they've been taught that it's forbidden for them to think, that's the most terrifying thing to ever see in a person, especially in the Beit Milash, especially with people who are learning Torah. How do you not think? Why can't you have an opinion, an educated opinion? No one's asking for a foolish opinion, but you've studied the material. You've become educated in that topic. Why not speak about it? Who's holding you back? So Rabbi Yosem is asking, this is what he's doing. Now he's asking another question. Rabbi Nachman Abreslev, in his Likutei Mohoran, in the first, first volume of it, he talks about rabbinic leaders of his time. He said they're rabbinic leaders. The whole world considers them leaders. He said, but I know they can't even lead themselves. How are they going to lead other people? So a certain mentality we have, unfortunately, in the community. I once had a guest. Later, when the camera's back. And more than in all the versions of the Mishnah. I'll tell you, it's okay. I'm not, what I can tell you, I'll tell you. I'll skip details that will be identified. There was a young Tamil Chacham. What I mean young? Younger than me, and this was a few years ago, who is a big posek in the Hasidic community somewhere in the United States of America. He came to visit me. Why? He needed a place to stay for the night, him and his wife. His wife happens to know my wife because my wife is from that community, not from the same Hasidus, but from the general Hasidic community. And they stayed in my house. A very nice man. He left me some books that he wrote in Halakha. Like, a very nice person. Nothing not nice. Everything about him, though, was off. He, he wasn't able to communicate normally. He couldn't look you in your eyes. Forget my wife. My wife didn't talk to her. But to me, he couldn't look me in the face while having conversation. The way he ate, everything was, was... It's clear for anybody, and I'm not a mental health professional, but I'm married to one. Anybody with any background in mental health would be able to give a few diagnoses of what this person is suffering from, and, and nobody is helping him take care of it. He's considered one of the up-and-coming rabbis in that particular community. And I know what's going to happen. Soon his beard will get a little bit bigger. It'll get a little bit whider. And then they're going to put out the Gedol Hado, the leader of the generation, and this person, nothing wrong. And I'm not making fun of anybody. But when it comes to matters of how to... You see the way he couldn't speak to his wife. He just didn't have the word. Like his wife was his caretaker. A brilliant person, but couldn't function normally. If you're not able to speak with his wife, then he's soon going to be giving advice to thousands and thousands of young couples on how to be married and how to stay married. And how to, but the man is not in a functional relationship. He doesn't know how to, he doesn't speak half the, there are things that, that he's not going to be able to guide people in, but there are certain Jewish communities that the more off a person is, the more disconnected, it's a word, the more disconnected from reality a person is, must mean how connected they are up in heaven somewhere. And you see, and there are names I can't mention to you now, I'm not even off camera, that you see certain rabbinic leaders, the whole world swears that they are leaders of the Jewish world, and you can see, anybody with two eyes can see, they really are struggling right now, and, and everyone around them is making a mockery of them. Whoever understands what I'm saying, understands what I'm saying. Rabbi Yosef Masah says, And there's another one. So if you look at every edition of the Mishnah that we have, it always says, It doesn't say, 
ורבנו הקדוש הוא שתיקנה והפכה להם, we have this tradition that it was first in, and then רבי יהודה הנשיא, he edited it. ואין זה לדברי נביאות, this is like prophetic insight. מי גילה רע זה? Who taught the secret to the Rambam's forefathers? That there was a Mishnah, and then it was changed? Where does it say that? What's the textual source for that? He goes through a few other points, like in the big paragraph of Old Kasheh, that there are many places where rabbis use the word Melo, 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 Melo Haomer, Melo Komtso, Melo Chofnav, Melo Beto. This word Melo is, is used very often, too often that it's meaningless, and you say it's added for a reason. It's added because that's the way that people speak. So now Rabbi Yisrael concludes with the following idea. And he teaches us an entirely different lesson from here. Let's look here at the bottom. V'atan nira l'aniyud dati, the bottom of 365. Otam Mishnayot. He says, you know, when you read Mishnayot, you should read them in context. It's said over there, and you have to appreciate Rabbi Yosem Masas, whether you agree with his answer or not. Rabbi Yosem Masas never leaves you without something beautiful. It's taught in the Mishnah. Hillel Omer. Hillel says, Milo, Hin, Mayin, Shovin, Prosim, Mikveh. We know this teaching because we read so far. The Shammai Omer, and Shammai, who is Hillel's study partner, he says, Tet Kabin. Not a Hin, but nine Kabin. How many Kabin is a Hin? Which they could have said hin, or he could have said gimel kabin, three. So he, he says three kabin, he, Shammai says nine kabin. That's how much water makes the mikveh pasul. V'chachamim omarim, what do chachamim say? Lo k'divrezeh, v'lo k'divrezeh. Hillel is wrong, Shammai is wrong. Neither of them are right. El ha'ad shebao bet gardim, mishar ha'ashpot shebirushanayim. What are gardim? Ima Gardim Rabbeinu Avadiyah Bartanura says Orgim, weavers, knitters, those people were involved in making clothing or fabrics. These Gardim came from Dung Gate of Jerusalem. And they say, we heard in the name of Shemayi Vavtalion. Three Lugin of water are what's posel the mikveh. And the Chachamim accepted the teaching of these two guys from Dungate of Jerusalem. What happened here in the story? All of this conversation, what Hillel heard from Shemayah and Aftalion. Hin, in. There's an argument between Hillel and Shemayah already, what it says. And what do these two guys come? Who are they coming to contradict? Hillel and Shemayah. And who do the rabbis, whose words do the rabbis accept? The two great sages or the two guys from Dungate? Those two guys. What's the purpose of the story, says Rabbi Yosef Masas? So why even bother us with the incorrect words of Hillel and Shammai? Just tell us that the three lugin of water, shuvin, make the mikveh not kosher. Why did you drive us crazy until now with Hillel and Shammai and what they say? Want to hear the lesson of the story? Says Rabbi Yosef Masas. 
to teach all future generations. That a person should never be stubborn and cling to what they think is the truth. Because our forefathers, Hillel and Shammai, they were wrong, and ultimately the Chachamim ruled against them, and they accepted that. They accepted that they made a mistake in the transmission that they received from Shammai Naftalim. Meaning, Sometimes a person says something. They say something and they're too embarrassed to retract what they said. What do they start doing? They'll do anything in the world to justify that what they said is really the truth. I'm just going to elaborate on this in just a moment. It's a very common thing. People justify self-justification. And this happens often, but we have a greater person, Hilan Shammai, who did this. Look at this big paragraph. Skip all the way to the middle. There's a long parenthesis and little letters. 366. It's the end, last four words in the line after that long parenthesis on page 366. Who is greater for us than Moshe Rabbeinu, our teacher? Moshe heard. And it was good in his eyes. Do you remember what this conversation here is about? It's about the daughters of uh, that's, that's something else, right? This is a conversation of him and Aharon regarding the death of the sons of Aharon and what oh. exactly was happening there. <laughs> says the Gemara Masechet Zevachim that Moshe Rabbeinu, he said something. He, Aharon corrected him. And instead of saying, oh, I, I knew that, I just forgot it. Moshe could have said that. He could have saved face. What did Moshe say? I never heard that halakha before. Thank you for teaching me something new. Moshe Rabbeinu was not afraid to say, I don't know something. There's something that I don't know. I want to know something more than what I know. Is it this? This exactly is what makes Moshe our teacher. And that's the purpose of what Hillel is telling his students. He's saying to his students, look, the whole purpose of uh, keeping this opinion here is to show the future generations. Hillel and Shammai retracted their opinions. And he brings a few other sources that say something similar. Is like an official retraction? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he mentions in this paragraph some situations there. And then he writes here. That what does it mean that a person speaks in the way of the rabbi? Tama de you mention something in the name of your rabbi, the words that your rabbi say, why do you quote your rabbi so much or speak like your rabbi so much? You love a person. You love a person. You ever spoke to somebody? My father, I love a shalom. My mother, not my My father should live me well. My mother should live me well. Or a person says, my grandfather, I love a shalom. Why do they say that? They love these people. And they're always trying to show respect by saying things the way they said them. Or, you know, my uncle used to say, da, da, da. why do you do that? And the same thing with the person's rabbi. If you love a person, you're always quoting them. My wife told me, my husband, I, people that you love. Maybe there's people you don't love, so you don't say anything about them. <laughs> I once sat with a couple, and the whole time I was sitting with the couple, the guy was talking about himself, about himself, about himself, about himself, about himself. Not one blessed word about his partner that was with him. He didn't have one thing. She also didn't say it. Just stood there like a statue. She's, why? This is a person who probably doesn't even know anything about his wife. He doesn't, he doesn't care. It's not important for him. And this type of personality, when you love somebody, you 
are always talking about them. It's almost, you know those people that they can't stop talking about people they love, and you're almost, like, you've had enough, I don't want to hear any more about your dad. Like, like yeah, the grandkids, <laughs> that's a, yeah, they tell you so much about them. My grandkid did this, my grandkid, chalas uh, with your grandchildren, I don't care about your grandchildren. But why do the people do that? Because they love people, that's what, the same thing with the person and, and the rabbi. And therefore, therefore, this is the answer number three. Vinaim Ken, the second to last paragraph on the bottom page 366, and this will be the end, end for tonight. Even by Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai, this was the case. There were thousands of students. They didn't care in particular to say things the way their rabbi said them. And therefore, people didn't really know that this person is a student of his. But these five students, they were very careful. And they went to the whole world and, and they showed, we are students of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. Anybody who would hear the teaching of these students would know, ah, you drank from the well of Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. This has happened to me. A few times in life. I've met a person. I've spoken with him. Then once a story happened to me. I was sitting in the Bedin in Los Angeles. And as I was sitting there in the Bedin, Rabbi Moshe Ben Zaken was with me. There's a rabbi that came from Israel, connected to the chief rabbinate. Somebody must have given him a heads up that we're there. And he came in to check in on us. And he shows up. And he begins speaking to me. And at a certain point he says, Who did you learn by in Eretz Yisrael? <laughs> and uh, I told him. He said, I knew it. I said, how did you know it? Because already 40 years ago, I used to go to the classes of Rabbi Yaakov Peret, and the things that you say sound just like things he would say. Now, I don't know if he was saying it. No, I, I don't know. I, uh, leave it that way. But I was, very, I was very grateful for that compliment, that somebody who heard this, you know, there was a group of, of uh, rabbis. I'll give them the respect. Rabbis. They tried to get my semicha revoked. So what did they do? They got together and they wrote a letter to Arab parents. This happened three years ago. Uh, and they wrote a whole letter, about 12 or 13 things. I have a letter. Of all these evil things that I say in halakha, total mistakes that I say in halakha, misreadings of Shulchan Aruch, complete perversions of the Talmud. They, they had a whole list. And they sent them to Arab parents. And Harapeh uh, didn't answer them. So they called Harapeh. Uh, there's a guy here. He says he's your student. He says all these things that are crazy. And we expect that you should correct him. He hangs himself. He hangs himself on a great tree. But you're, he's using your name uh, for all these things that he's saying. And Harapeh told him, says, he said, he called them Ameha Aritz, you ignoramuses. He said, you don't know how to read Shulchan Aruch. He said, who do you think taught him all of the things you wrote in the list? He said, when I spoke to Agapel, he said, he got a Nachat report that all of these things that I'm saying are all the things that he taught me in the yeshiva. He's very happy to know that I remember all these things. I'm saying all of these things exactly the way that he taught us how to say these things. Oh, Hashem. Oh, Hashem. What am I supposed to do? There's, this is something that not everyone has students that are this way. That a person goes out to the world and you say, listen, a person can have this with their children too, a person can have this with anybody that they're close with there. You're, you have the havdil, the havdil, you have a company, you have employees. Whenever you go to Trader Joe's, no matter what you think of Trader Joe's, 
the employees act a certain way. They always walk you to their aisle. They're overly, even in New York, they manage to find friendly people enough to work at Trader Joe's. Yeah, and they have, they show you to the aisle and they tell you, you want to taste this. Or they, they, did you find a sea lion with a sticker? But they have a certain, clearly they have a certain type of personality they're looking for because they need their representatives to give off a certain type of brand that is their store. And I'm not familiar with the marketing behind the Trader Joe's, uh, you know, so the psychology behind Trader Joe's marketing. But this was the way with Hamdeh Hamim too. They would say to their students, you're going out into the world, and you represent not just yourself, you represent us also. You know, when we hear something in the Kila, I hear that a certain person in the Kila, they did chesed for somebody. Yeah, it happened to me here. I'll tell you the story. I had a person who came over to me and said, you Rabbi Halevi? Yes. You Rabbi Kila Chal Shalmayim? I said, very much so. He told me, you're Kila? Hashem should bless you. Yosef Adonai Nechem, Kachem Ezeh Tamim. I said, what happened? Normally the next sentence is not, God should increase you a thousand times fold. I said, what happened? He said, a long time ago, my business was almost shutting down. It was a bad time. And one of the people in your kila heard that I was struggling to get a loan. And he fronted me all of the money. And he said, you get on your feet. And here's my condition with you. My condition is, if you make back the money, pay me back. With no interest, because according to the Torah, I can't take interest from you. And if you don't make it back, this is my gift to you, to at least try to get your business off the ground. So where on earth do you find people like that? And I said, listen, I didn't do it. For sure I didn't make it. But I'm very grateful that now we're Kina, we have people like that. And when someone goes into the world, and that's the type of person they are, they say, ah, you say shalom al-khim in the morning to people. You jog in the street, but you wave at the people. You smile at people. You remember their name at the checkout counter. You're not the people who speak Lashon Halad, your Shabbat table. You're, you're, you're those type of people who help other people. It makes me very proud to say, ah, these people are part of Shaviti. This is the kind of person that we're looking for. This is the, forgive me for the term, this is the brand that we're trying to create, and this is the type of person that we hope is out there in the world. The Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai had thousands of students. But from all of those thousands of students who wanted to know if Cheetos are kosher for Pesach or not, there only was this handful that is with us here that are learning Torah every night in the week, that are sitting down and learning and growing and emulating what it is that the Torah is trying to teach us everywhere that they are. So I'm grateful to you for the opportunity to be learning Torah tonight. Forgive me again for skipping on the halakha section. Tomorrow the Rambam section will be much shorter and we'll continue into the laws of pizza as, as anticlimactic as that may sound. Uh, that, that will be tomorrow's shiu. So we'll start with the Rambam and we'll conclude with the laws of pizza. If anybody wants to sponsor pizza, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, just not from the not kosher restaurant. <laughs> have a good evening. I'll stick around for any questions that anybody might have.